Good morning. Good to see everyone after a wonderful holiday. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving with friends and family, and it's good to see everybody here today. My name is Matt Wilson, and I serve as a student ministry pastor here at Spanish River Church. And uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. This morning, we're going to be concluding our series called On Mission Together where we are looking at how God uses every single one of us to be his witnesses, that no one is left out. It it, it involves us all to be able to bring the gospel to the nations. Now, we've seen this in Acts chapter 26 when Paul is recounting his conversion experience where he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And in that, Jesus said to him this, he says, for this purpose, I appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness. So in his conversion embedded within that is a commission to be able to serve him, to serve Jesus and his purposes as a witness. So when God calls us to himself, through Jesus Christ, and and makes us a child of God, that in that, attached with that, we are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be on mission as his servants to be a light to the world. Well, we're going to look at a picture of that in Acts 12, and we've been looking at different uh, passages of just that in Acts, but we're going to look at Acts chapter 12, and we're going to start with the last verse. Uh, verse 25, and we're going to read through half of 13. This is God's word. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there in the church at Antioch, prophets, now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and he was, the pro- he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence who summons Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord." 
Now, Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the word that you give to us so that we may know and understand you, that we may know how we may have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, and us having faith in him, and also how we may live for you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, today that your spirit opens our hearts, open our minds to be able to understand these things, and so be transformed so that we can be useful to your purposes as we follow you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, this past week, I'm sure you got a chance to watch a few things on Netflix. Would that be correct? And so uh, there was a, a new documentary on there, and I, I, like, to, I like documentaries, and, uh, but there was a new one on there on Yogi Berra. Did anybody get a chance to see that one recently? Wow, not many people. Well, the first service is the baseball crowd for sure, okay? Um, you guys are the football crowd, is that right? Okay, all right. Well, there's a great, hey, I'm gonna encourage you to watch this, this uh, documentary on Yogi Berra. Uh, and it starts off at the 2015 Major League Baseball's All-Star Game. And it is during that ceremony that it featured four of the greatest living baseball players as determined by 25 million fan votes, all right? And they are Hank Aaron, Johnny Bench, Sandy Colfax, and Willie Mays. Now, as these players uh, begin to take the field for their recognition, watching is Lindsay Berra, the granddaughter of Yogi Berra, who's sitting with Yogi Berra. Uh, this Yogi Berra, who, by the way, who has more MVPs than any of those other players that took the field, he has won more World Series than all four of those other players combined. And he is also one of two players in the entire history of Major League Baseball who has had more than 350 home runs and less than 500 strikeouts. And so Lindsay, his granddaughter, turns to Yogi and says, are you dead yet? And in a typical Yogi Berra fashion, not yet. You know, as you'd uh, remember Yogi as to how he would say things. But this ceremony revealed really how overlooked Yogi Berra was as one of baseball's greatest players ever. And that he's like, most likely the greatest unsung hero of baseball. Now, in regards to the church, in regard to the church on mission with the gospel, there's, there's a group within the church that I would consider a group that's overlooked in considering uh, how we are going to move out with the gospel to be able to bring advancement of the gospel into our community. Um, and this, I would consider that these, these, this group to be unsung heroes within the church, considering the, the gospel efforts that they do put forward. But this group would actually, I'd consider these are the young people of our church, uh, middle school, high school, and even college age students are frequently not considered when our church is thinking about gospel advancement. And so even by their own accord, by themselves, they consider, they discount themselves. Uh, 
kind of considering themselves in this like holding pattern, waiting to grow up and to become adults, that when they do that, that's when they get to do real ministry or they become real useful to the church. And so they kind of are in this holding pattern type of mindset. But I think that comes to them from our culture as well as from our church. And uh, our young people are many times, and I'm sure you've heard this before, are typically referred to as the church of tomorrow, that those are the church and the leaders of tomorrow. But by defining them in that way, what we do is we overlook them as the church of today because they're present here today. They're present week by week, uh, uh, just involved in ministry and involved with the work of the church. And this is shocking that we would think of them only as the church of tomorrow or we overlook them at all when 80% of people who give their lives to Christ do so between the ages of 11 and 18, which is all of our young people's friends and where they dwell and where they spend their time. So today we're going to look at a passage that helps us understand really how we can best reach the young people in our church and set them on mission. And we're gonna look at an unsung hero of the New Testament, uh, a remarkable young man. He was mentioned three times in the passage that we read. I don't know if you caught that or not, but he actually was in the passage that we read. Uh, His name is John Mark. And like I said, he's a remarkable person who gave his life to the gospel advancement of the church. And he actually personally is a beautiful picture of what a transformed life looks like. Someone who's transformed as they give their life to Jesus and and given themselves to his church. And what it does is it transforms his life mission. But it's not just a picture of an individual and really what it looks like for Christ to transform an individual and our encouragement to be, hey, try to be more like John Mark. That's not fully, I think you'd miss the picture of what's going on. The context of this is actually the church recognizing and having a vision for this young man and making him useful to the ministry purposes of the day. That w- so we begin to see the gospel advancing through the different areas all around Jerusalem as it begins to spread around the world. So this is a, a beautiful picture of the church with vision as well as a young man who responds to the gospel in faith. So let's learn a little bit here from John Mark and uh, from this account of how we can then alter how we view the youth in our church and put them on mission for Christ. Well, we first hear about John Mark in Acts chapter 12, and it's not at the beginning of the chapter where we just read, but actually at the top of the the passage, the top of that chapter. So we first read about him after Peter, who was thrown in prison by Herod, And then what happened was, is you know the story, an angel of the Lord appears and releases Peter from prison and leads him out of the prison. And when Peter is outside of the prison, he goes immediately to someone's house. And it's Mary's house, mother of John Mark, it says. And so this is a very significant location in the New Testament. For this house is where the church in Jerusalem would meet and would gather. And so this is where John grew up, where this this significant location, this significant house was in Jerusalem. And so in this house, this is how significant this is, this is the house which church tradition believes had the upper room where Jesus met with his disciples the night before he was betrayed. 
and had the last supper with them in this upper room. This is where John Mark would have been. This is also the upper room where Jesus said to wait in Jerusalem until I send my spirit. And all of the, all of the, the church gathered together in the upper room, it says. And this is believed to be in this house where then the Holy Spirit was given and the flaming tongues came and landed on the people and they began to speak in different languages so that the gospel could go out to all the different regions around. This is where John Mark was at. This is his experience as a young believer. Now, John Mark at the time would have been a teenager or in his early 20s at the time. So think of the impact that that would have had on him. Now, this John Mark's just not anybody. He's the cousin of Barnabas, who's a missionary and ministry partner of Paul, the apostle. And uh, when Barnabas and Paul were in Antioch, all right, they were sent to Judea and Jerusalem because of a severe famine that hit that region. And so they collected funds and they gave it to Barnabas and Paul and sent them on a relief mission to bring the funds to Jerusalem. And so after they had done that and they were returning to Antioch, they brought with them from Jerusalem because they would have encountered John Mark and they brought with them John Mark back to Antioch. So John Mark, as a young man, left Jerusalem and his home to go with these missionaries to Antioch. And then it was uh, a short time after that that the Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey, which they say, and they brought with them John Mark on this journey, that he would be useful to them. Well, then as uh, Barnabas and uh, Paul uh, begin to, they went into Cyprus, which is an island north of, north of Antioch. And then once they'd gone all the way through the, uh, the island, this is where the proconsul uh, gave his life to Christ. Then they, they got on a boat and they proceeded to the mainland of Asia Minor, just north of that. And then they were planning to move into the interior of Asia Minor. But as soon as they got there, John Mark, as it says, left. He left them and he didn't return back to Antioch. He returned back to his home in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know the situation and the circumstances that surrounded his departure and his leaving. But what we do know is that it had such a negative weight on Paul is that two years later, when they went to go on their second missionary journey and Barnabas said, I want to take John Mark, Paul disagreed. And he's, he did not agree with John Mark going with them because he had left them before. And so he did not think him right to be a part of their missions team that they had gathered together uh, to go on their second missionary journey. And so it was, there was such a disagreement, it says in Acts, that Barnabas and Paul, it was such a sharp agreement, they divided. They split from one another. And Barnabas took John Mark in one direction and Paul took Silas in a completely different direction. And what, what I think is important for us to note is that, and this is the way I, I kind of see this, is uh, I like to go to golf tournaments and watch professional golfers. And yes, they hit amazing shots and it's impressive to be there and it's a beautiful seeing a golf course. But the part I think I might, that, that gives me like this warm feeling inside is when you see some guy who's like in the top, you know, 25 in the world, just duff one right into the sand trap. And I'm like, yes, 
that's me. <laughs> if he can do it, that's, that, 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 means I, that, that explains why I do it, if he can do it. And so it just makes me feel warm all over that he's human and he experiences what I experience when I play golf. Well, this is a little bit how I feel when I read this, that here's these two major church leaders having a disagreement, not able to come to terms with one another. And in fact, they end up just saying they part ways. They part ways. And, and so it's just like, yeah, I, I experienced that. I understand that. I know I identify with what, what, what's happening to them. This is real life here. But what's interesting is this, is that God redeems even when the bad times and the worst of us comes out. God redeems these moments and he redeemed it here in a very powerful way that, that you have to kind of sit back and say, wait a minute, this was a problem, but suddenly everything ended up better as a result. And here's why. Because of John Mark's issue that caused him to leave the mission field before and caused this disagreement and they split, because of John Mark, the, the, the mission of the gospel was multiplied. Because now you had, they were one large mission team planning to go in one direction, and now they split and they multiplied their efforts going in two different directions for the glory of God. And so this is amazing. Now, um, so, and again, John Mark was the catalyst for that. Now, sometime later, uh, we begin to realize that reconciliation had happened, at least we know between Paul and John Mark, because his name begins to pop up in all of Paul's letters that John Mark was part of his ministry team and a valued, useful member of this ministry team. Just, just not one of the side people, but he mentions him um, specifically in multiple letters. Um, so we've, we, we learn from Paul that John Mark was with him when he was in, Rome, in prison in Rome. And in his letter to uh, the Colossians, as well as Philemon, he's mentioned as a ministry partner there while he was in prison. And then interesting enough, in 2 Timothy, at the end of 2 Timothy, this is the end of Paul's life. And he realized his life is about to come to an end. As we know, he was martyred. And he writes this in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, Luke alone is with me. But get Mark, bring him to me, for he's very useful to me for ministry. And so this shows you really the, 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 the relationship that was developed between these two. Now, this young man, after Paul's death, this young man then joined Apostle Peter in Rome, where Peter then passed on his accounts of the ministry of Jesus that Peter was a part of. And he passed on these accounts to Mark, who wrote them all down, which he used to write the gospel of Mark. And then according to church tradition, it was Mark who brought his gospel that he had written from the accounts from Peter, he brought the message of Christ to Alexandria in Egypt, being the first person to bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the continent of Africa. Now, when you think about this, you just got to think, wow, <laughs> that's some life from just being a teenager who was picked up in Jerusalem and brought along, that, that these guys could see something in him and, and just saw the usefulness to the purposes of God. And so 
there's a few things that we can learn here uh, from this account of John Mark. And I think an overall summary would be this for, to, for us to be able to take, uh, really to take in for ourselves and uh, help us, I think, in, in life going forward is that when we, when Christ is central to our lives, that you become extremely useful to his purposes. And the purposes of Christ, compared to the purposes that we have for life, Christ's purposes are huge, huge. That you bring impact into people's life that, that moves outside of all of time because you, you, you're, as you share the gospel with someone and they give their life to Christ, you're taking someone from the kingdom of darkness and trapped here and move them into the kingdom of light for all eternity beyond the grave. This is what happens when Christ is central to our lives. Well, there are three things that we can learn as a church uh, about how to mobilize our youth from this account. The first one being this, that the church must have a vision for its youth. So just as Barnabas and Paul, as they were in Jerusalem and they saw the usefulness of Mark and brought him along to Antioch and they went on the, the missionary journey with him, they saw the usefulness of him, but they, did, they didn't just plop him there and just say, go do something. No, they brought him with them. He brought them into where they were able to pour into them of their lives, of what they know of Jesus Christ and, and, and what to do ministry-wise. And they did life together with Mark. And so Mark was deeply shaped, yes, by a lot of experiences, but also personally by Barnabas and by Paul, just as Jesus shaped the disciples by doing life with them for three years. And so when we think of the youth at Spanish River Church, this is what we're trying to do in our student ministries, that we are trying to pour into them by doing life with them, discipling them to become lifelong followers of Christ, deepening them in their faith, uh, sending and, and, and giving them opportunities to serve and to, in, uh, in ministry, being able to uh, go into their life as missionaries, bringing the gospel to their friends. This is what we try to do. Typically, when you think of youth ministry, and so much of this is actually true, so you can't fault you a lot. But when people think of youth ministry, they think of two things, fun, and then they think of these really bizarre, crazy things that happen. And, and yeah, both of those are true. And, but that's not the core of what we do. It's part of what we do, but every single thing that we do in student ministries, at a weekly campus night, every single thing we do, the purpose is to build them into a community through our hangout time on pool tables and foosball tables, and then playing games and mixers with them and doing crazy things with them, to having a time of food together as a family together, and then worshiping together, and, hearing, and, and then hearing the word of God taught, and then taking them out on service and taking them on mission and, and putting them out in the world and giving them the experience of being able to be missionaries of Jesus Christ today. And then this is part of why we're so committed, so committed to doing first priority gospel clubs in the public schools throughout Boca. That we have nine clubs in eight schools at the moment, right now. Spanish River Church does five of those clubs. They're in the public schools, which is a very, very dark place. 
And I would dare say many of us would feel very uncomfortable being in these public school scenarios. But this is their world. This is their peers. This is where they're at. And, and they, are, they are serving Christ faithfully in these situations. We saw out in West Boca, who's run by other youth pastors, that we gave this club away. This is the largest club. That it started off with, like I think, um, 30-something students. Within four weeks, it had 60. Um, uh, Kayla told me a month ago, she said, hey, I can't help this afternoon. I got to go help them out at the club because uh, the youth pastor out there can't move 12 pizzas in there by herself. There's so many students at their lunch club that we saw right before Thanksgiving at Spanish River High School, a club that normally has about 18 to 22 students in it, had a special Thanksgiving party where they're going to invite their friends to hear the gospel. And they brought all kinds of food. 52 students showed up in a classroom of 30 desks. The walls are lined with students because they're hungry. They're hungry for the gospel and the high school students are going in there with the gospel message and the love of Christ and sharing it with their friends so that they can come give their life to Christ and then get plugged into the local church. They are so useful, but so many times overlooked in what they can do. But the reality is they're actually out there now doing it. Well, the second thing that we can learn uh, from this account with John Mark is this is that the youth are made useful as they are present in the life of the church. And so just look at John Mark's experience of, of his house, of where he grew up and what he experienced, his house being the church of Jerusalem, okay? And that, so when John Mark was with them, all right, uh, in the house, when Jesus came in with his disciples to go to the Last Supper, I mean, think of the impact that that would have on him, knowing that Jesus went from there to the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested and going to the cross from that point. Think of the upper room during Pentecost, the impact that that would have on you, the imprint that that would leave. Think about praying with the church while Peter was in prison and then being released by an angel of the Lord and then Peter showing up at the house. What it would be like to be a teenager in the presence of that, experiencing that and the imprint that that would leave. But then you have to think also of just the regular day-to-day -day life as Christians, as an early church that we find in Acts 2.42 uh, and the imprint that that left on him as it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. Uh, they believed together and had all things in common, selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to all that were in need and that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. A teenager watching this unfold right before his eyes. Well, these would have been very powerfully shaping moments that really helped John Mark understand what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Now, there's a reality here is that when I think of my ministry, 90%, if not more, of the people in our ministry don't drive. People have to drive them to us, okay? So youth are youth. They're minors who are led by other people, and their lives are directed by other people, by other adults. And so it is imperative that we as adults see that it's our responsibility, parents and grandparents. We're talking about uh, ministry leaders here and disciplers and youth leaders and pastors and the elders. It's imperative that we understand the responsibility 
to be able to ensure that our youth are present in the church's discipleship and service and fellowship and mission. That this is, this is a non-negotiable in their life. That, that presence happens, all right? They have presence here and they're able to be imprinted when they are serving Christ in his church. And that takes a top priority in their life because it's a top priority in, our, in the adult's life. So the greatest obstacle that we find in student ministry today is the competing voices that are saying this. They're telling them that they need to be completely devoted. Their life needs to be completely devoted to other activities, whether it be clubs, whether it be academics, whether it be sports. But these voices are saying, if you just give it your all and don't let anything or anybody distract you and you just pour yourself into this, then you will be great. But that, that's an opposite message. That's a culture's message, is that we live to increase our self-importance, that we seek to make our name great. But that's opposite of the messaging that we get from the gospel. We are called to be a servant to Christ and to serve other people. You know what? In, in many stories and situations, you don't know the names of the servants. You know the name of the king, but you don't know the names of the servants. And, and that's, that's the role that we take. However, as we do that, we become useful to Christ's purposes, and his purposes are huge, like nothing the world could even begin to shine a shadow upon. So we have to be mindful of Jesus' words in Matthew 19, 14, where he says this, and this is where the disciples were, were keeping children back as people were bringing small children to be blessed by Christ. But there's instruction here for us. It says, and Jesus tells them and rebukes the disciples, and he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to be mindful of that, that we, we should not be hindering our students from having presence in the church, in the work of the church, because it is here in the church where the, the greatest representation of Jesus is on planet earth in anyone's life anywhere, because it's here his people are filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when we are gathered together, we represent Christ. And that's what imprints on students and how to live for him. Well, the, the prophet Isaiah gives us instruction on how to correct this, how to correct this course. And he's talking to a people who are consumed with idolatry. And he tells us how to live in such a way so that we experience the fullness and the refreshment that comes from God as God intends for his people. And he tells them this in Isaiah 57. He says, build up, build up, and prepare the way. Remove every obstacle from my people's way. And that's our, that's our responsibility as adults with those who are young in our lives that God has given us charge over to direct them that we're to remove the obstacles, remove the hindrances so the children can come to him, experience him and become useful to his purposes and his plan for their life to be able to shape them into what Christ has for them. Well, I had a neighbor uh, in our neighborhood, uh, an elderly lady. And uh, we got to know, know her over the years, over the, the, the past 10 years, uh, when we were church planting there. And she would walk every day. And so she'd walk by our house and always stop and talk with me. And we developed a relationship. Um, but uh, about a couple of years ago, um, she actually passed away. And I was driving through the neighborhood. 
uh, and I noticed there were some people they were cleaning out her house. And as I was driving by, there was a box outside of her house by the street that was left um, for the trashmen to pick up and throw away. And it was a box of trophies. And I could see on the trophies that it had a golfer on the top. And they were from the size of these trophies that she was, I would say, a fairly accomplished golfer. Um, but it's just an interesting and I think a telling statement that we, we win these things, we gain these things in life, but then they just end up at the street in a box to be taken to a landfill. In other words, these things perish in our lives. And the world doesn't need more people with boxes of trophies. It needs people who love like Jesus, who act like Jesus, who move towards hurting people like Jesus, who speak the name of Jesus with the words of life to believe upon him as Savior and Lord. And as you do, you and your life will not end up like this box by the street, but you will move past the grave into eternity, into glory, and seated at the right hand of God the Father with Jesus Christ. This is what we need more of, and this is why we remove these obstacles so our children can be part of that great work of Jesus. Well, the last thing here is this from this account, is that the youth must be led into opportunities in life to serve as missionaries. So I am not telling you to quit all of your engagement with the world outside of church. It's not a black and white scenario like that. What I'm telling you is, is don't let other activities take the place of Christ and the priority that Christ needs to be in your life. The one who is the God of life, the one who is to give you the abundant life, the good life, the eternal life. Don't replace it with something that's going to end up at the street that what we need to do is as we give our lives to Christ and we're imprinted upon by the church, we are then sent as his people into the community to be engaged fully with the community, to seek its good and so that it can thrive. And so that in those scenarios, we're meeting people and in that we're sharing who Jesus Christ is. And we're seeing people give their lives to him, saved from their sin, becoming children of God. For when we are doing this, we understand what it means when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will then be added to you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us from ourselves. But thank you for saving us to you as your child that we may live for you, for giving us your spirit so that we may go forward in power, bringing the transformation that the, only the gospel can bring into our neighborhood, into our communities, so that we see people thrive now and forevermore. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.